chapter 8, verses 4 through 25. Verses 4 through 8. And when much people gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spoke a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And others fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Burkett notes, The design and scope of this parable is to show what are the causes of men's improving and not improving under the hearing of the word, and to let us know that there are three sorts of bad hearers and but one good one. The careless and inconsiderate hearer is like the highway ground, where the seed is trodden down and trampled upon, hard-hearted sinners whom the mollifying words did not soften. These are like stony ground, where the seed takes no root, the word makes no impression. Those whose heads and hearts are stuffed with the cares of the world are like the thorny ground, in which the seed is choked, which would fructify to a holy immortality. This is the scope of the parable. Now from the subject matter of it, learn, one, that by the sower you are to understand Christ and his apostles, and their successors, the ministers of the gospel. Christ, the principal sowers, they, the subordinate seedsmen. Christ sows his own field, they sow his field. He sows his own seed, they his seed. Woe unto us if we sow our own seed and not Christ's. Learn, too, the seed sown is the word of God. Fabulous legends and unwritten traditions, which the seedsmen of the Church of Rome sow, are not seeds, but chaff, or if seeds, for they fructify too fast in the minds of their people, their own, not Christ's. Our Lord's fields must all be sown with his own seed with no mixed grain. Learn, thence, that the word preached is like the seed sown in the furrows of the field. Seed is of a fructifying, growing, and increasing nature. It has in it an active principle, and will spring up, if not killed by accidental injuries. Such a quickening power has the word of God to regenerate and make alive dead souls, if we suffer it to take rooting in our hearts. Yet is not this seed alike fruitful in every soil, all ground is not alike, neither doth the word fructify alike in the souls of men. There is a difference both from the nature of the soil and the influence of the spirit. For though no ground is naturally good, yet some is worse than other. Nay, even the best ground doth not bring forth increase alike. Some good ground brings forth a hundredfold, others but sixty, and some but thirty. In like manner, a Christian may be a profitable hearer of the word, although he doth not bring forth so great a portion of fruit as others, provided he bring forth as much as he can. Verses 9 and 10. And the disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parable, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Burkett notes, Here we have the disciples' question, and our Savior's reply. Their inquiry is concerning the sense and signification of the parable. They own their ignorance and desire better information. It's no shame for the best of ministers, yea, the best of men, to acknowledge their own ignorance of the mysteries of religion, and to attend upon the means of instruction 
in order to their further information. In our Savior's answer, to you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, etc. Observe, one, that the doctrines of the gospel are great mysteries. Two, that it is an invaluable privilege rightly to understand and know gospel mysteries. Three, that this privilege all are not sharers in and partakers of, but only those to whom it is given. Four, that it is a righteous thing with God to give such persons over to further blindness and ignorance of spiritual things who willfully reject the truth and shut their eyes against the evidence of it. The Pharisees had all along shut their eyes and said they would not see. Now Christ closes their eyes judicially and says they shall not see. Verses 11 through 15. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no roots, which for a while believe, and in a time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good grounds are they which, in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Briquette notes, Here our Savior applies himself to interpret and explain the foregoing parable to his disciples. He tells them, The seed is the word. The sower is the preacher. The soil or ground is the heart and soul of man. Some hearers he compares to the highway ground in which seed lies uncovered for want of the harrow of meditation. Others to stony ground in which the word has no root, no root in their understanding, no root in their memories, in their wills or in their affections. But they are instantly offended either at the depth and profoundness of the word or at the sanctity and strictness of the word, or else at the plainness and simplicity of it. Again, some hearers our Lord compares with thorny ground. Worldly desires and inordinate care for things of this life choke the word as thorns overshadow the corn, draw away the heart of the earth from it, hinder the influence of the sun from cherishing it. The like ill effects have worldly affections and desires in the soul of men, rendering the seed of the word unfruitful. But the good Christian hears the word attentively, keeps it retentively, believes in it steadfastly, applies it particularly, practices it universally, and brings forth fruit perseveringly. Learn hence, one, that no hearers are in Christ's account good hearers of the word, but such as bring forth fruit answerable to their hearing. Two, that a person may be a good hearer of the word in Christ's account if he brings forth the best fruit he can though not in so great a proportion as others do. Some ground brings forth thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. In like manner do all the sincere hearers of the word. They all bring forth fruit, though not all alike, all in sincerity, though not all equally, and none to perfection. Learn three, that it is not sufficient that we do at present believe, approve, and practice the truth delivered to us, or that we are affected with the word, and receive it with some kind of joy, delight, and pleasure, unless we persist and persevere in obedience to all its precepts, and continue to bring forth fruit with patience. Verses 16 to 18. No man, 
when he hath lighted a candle, cover it with a vessel, or put it under a bed, but setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed, therefore, how you hear, for whoever hath, to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. Burkett notes, In these words, Christ declares his end and design in revealing unto his disciples the foregoing parable, and why he communicated to them the light of scripture knowledge and gospel ministries, namely, that they may communicate it to others, and not keep it close unto themselves. Even as a candle in a house diffuses and disperses its light to all that come within reach of it, such as are enlightened by God in any measure, with the knowledge and understanding of his word, ought not to conceal and hide this knowledge within themselves, but communicate it to others, and improve it for the good and benefit of others. Observe also the argument which our Savior makes use of to quicken his disciples to communicate their knowledge and improve the grace they had received for the good and advantage of others. To him that hath shall be given, that is, such as improve their spiritual gifts, shall have them increased. Such as improve them not, shall have them blasted. Learn hence that there is no such way to thrive in grace and increase in gifts as to exercise and improve them. He that hideth his talent forfeits it, is in danger of losing it, and also of being punished for not improving it. Observe lastly how our Lord shuts up this parable of the sower and the seed with a cautionary direction to all his auditors to take heed how they hear the word. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Such as would profit by hearing the word must diligently attend to the matter of the doctrine which they hear, and also to the manner how they hear. Such as the majesty and authority of the person who speaks to us in the word, such as the sublimity and spirituality of the matter, and so great is our danger if we miscarry under the word, that it nearly concerns us to take heed both what we hear, whom we hear, and how we hear. Verses 19 to 21. Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. And it was told him by certain, which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God, and do it. Burkett notes, two things are here observable. One, the truth and verity of Christ's human nature. He had the affinity and consanguity with men, person near and blood to him, but the mother's side, called here his kinsmen. Observe, too, that Christ's spiritual kindred were much dearer to him than his natural. Alliance by faith is more valued by Christ than alliance by blood. To bear Christ in the heart is greater honor than to carry him in the womb. Blessed be God, this great and gracious privilege is not denied us even now. Although we cannot see Christ, yet love him we may. His bodily presence cannot be enjoyed by us, but his spiritual presence is not denied to us. Though Christ be not ours in house, in arms, in affinity, in consanguity, yet in heart, in faith, in love and service, he is or may be ours. Verily, spiritual regeneration bringeth man into a more honorable relation to Christ than natural generation ever did. Oh, how dear are obedient Christians to Christ. He prefers them in esteem before those of his own flesh and blood. My brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Verses 22 to 25. 
Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the wind and water, and they obey him. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. Our Savior and his disciples no sooner put forth to sea, but difficulties attend them, and danger overtakes them. A tempest arose, and that ship was covered with waves that Christ himself was in with his disciples. Learn hence, the presence of Christ does not exempt his disciples and followers from trouble and danger. Here was a great tempest about the disciples' ears, though Christ himself was in their company. Observe, too, the posture our Savior was in when this tempest arose. Being wearied with the labors of the day, he was laid down to sleep, thereby showing himself to be truly and really man, and that he not only took upon himself the human nature, but the infirmities of that nature also. He was subject to pain and weariness, to hunger and thirst. Observe 3. The disciples' application made to Christ. They awake him with a sad outcry. Master, Master, we perish. Here was faith mixed with human frailty. They believed that he could save them, but being asleep, they concluded he must be awakened before he could save them. Whereas, though his human nature was asleep, yet his divine nature neither slumbered nor slept. Learn hence that the prevalency of fear in a time of great and eminent danger, though it may evidence weakness of faith, yet it is no evidence of a total want of faith. In the midst of the disciples' fears, they believed Christ's power and ability to save them. Master, save us, we perish. Observe 4, a double rebuke given by our Savior. 1, to the winds. 2, to the fears of his disciples. Christ rebuked the winds, and instantly they were calm. When the sea was as furious as a madman, Christ with a single word calms it. Learn thence that the most raging winds and outrageous seas cannot stand before the rebukes of Christ. Christ as God lays a law upon the most lawless creatures, even when they seem to act most lawlessly. Observe farther. Christ rebukes his disciples' fears and their want of faith. Why are you fearful? Where is your faith? No sooner was the storm up, but their fears were up, and their faith was down. They forgot that the Lord High Admiral of the Ocean was now aboard their ship, and were as much overset with their boisterous passions as the ship was with tempestuous winds. And accordingly, Christ rebukes the tempest within before he calms the storm without. First, he quickens their faith, then he quiets the seas. Note from hence that great faith in the habit may appear but little in act and exercise. The disciples' faith in forsaking all and following Christ was great faith, but in this present act, their faith was weak through the prevalency of their fears. Oh, the imperfect composition of the best of saints! Faith and fear will take their turns and act their several parts whilst we are here. Ere long, our fears will be vanquished, and our faith swallowed up in vision, our hopes in fruition. Then shall we obey with vigor, praise with cheerfulness, love without measure, fear without torment, trust without despondency. Lord, 
strengthen our faith in the belief of this desirable happiness and set our souls a longing for the full fruition and final enjoyment of it.